Welcome to Shelf Logic, the official podcast of the Maricopa County Library District. Hello, and welcome to Shelf Logic. My name is Caroline. And I'm Danielle. I'm Lexis. And welcome back to another installation of the TBR podcast. Yay. We are starting it off in a new year and with a new face on the pod. Yes. So welcome to Lexis. We're really excited. Um, just to give you a brief recap on what the TBR podcast is. Um, this is a series that we've been doing for about a year now, yeah. um, where we randomly draw a book off of our to-be-read lists um, that we keep on Goodreads, and then we force ourselves to read them finally. Yes. Um, so you'll hear a little bit about two books that each of us have read today and why we think they ended up on our TBR. Some of these are so long on the shelf that um, it's hard to even recall how they got there. Yes. So especially with some of us who have a very large TBR. I do list. not know who you're referring to. <laughs> it certainly isn't three times the size of mine and Danielle's combined. <laughs> no, I uh, would never be that out of control. Wow, who is to say who that could be? If you've listened to the TBR podcast before, you know whose it is, but she's chipping it away. So it's very, That's valid. Um, when we started, you were in the 1800s. Yeah. Um, what a good year. What a good year. <laughs> <laughs> but we're whittling it down, so yeah, we're getting there. Yes. So we, I don't know, we each have two. Who wants to go first? Um, I can start. All right. Um, I, so my two books that I read was The Maid by Nita Prose, um, and I also read Rebecca. I'm not, I can't remember the author. Daphne du Maurier. There we go. I wouldn't have been able to say it anyway, so I read that one too. <laughs> Um, I'm going to talk about the maid first, um, and so I'm going to read the description. This is from Goodreads. Um, so Molly Gray is not like everyone else. She struggles with social skills and misreads the intentions of others. Her grand used to interpret the world for her, codifying it into simple rules that Molly could live by. Since Grand died a few months ago, 25-year-old Molly has been navigating life's complexities all by herself. No matter, she throws herself with gusto into her work as a hotel maid. Her unique character, along with her obsessive love of cleaning and proper etiquette, makes her an ideal fit for the job. But Molly's orderly life is suspended the day she enters the suite of the infamous and wealthy Charles Black, only to find it in a state of disarray, and Mr. Black himself dead in his bed. Before she knows what's happening, Molly's usual demeanor has the police treating her as their lead suspect. She quickly finds herself caught in a web of deception, one she has no idea how to untangle. Fortunately for Molly, friends she never knew she had unite with her in search for clues as to what really happened to Mr. Black. But will they be able to find the real killer before it's too late? Um, so this was... A, I, I, read, I, made, I gave it a solid three stars. I liked it. Um, I'm gonna, now I'm going to read my... my um, my review of it. So I put this as an okay read. If you're in a book hole and want a quick, decent read, I'd say give it a go. Molly is a neurodivergent character who stumbles upon a dead body. She is not well understood and is often made fun of and taken advantage of. This makes people underestimate her. And when she finds herself charged with murder, she finds that she has some very solid people in her corner after all. The pace in the book is good, but towards the end, it does seem to drag a little bit. I think there was a lot in the book that could have been cut out, but in all that unnecessary fluff was a sweet discovery, so at least it wasn't a total waste. I'm torn about the epilogue. 
Um, in a way, it doesn't fit Molly's character, but it's also kind of fun. Um, I feel like the book would have ended just fine without the epilogue, but I'm not mad at it either. I'm only giving it three stars, but it's a solid three stars. Um, so that really does sum up what I thought about it. Um, it was okay. Like, I'm not upset that it was on my TBR list. I'm honestly not sure why I put it on my TBR list. Um, it was popular for a while, so I yeah, feel like that might be I think why. I probably just saw the cover for a long time, and I was like, oh, I probably would like this. Um, and I did not like it. So it was it was a decent read. Um, like I said, I'm still, I mean, to this day, I'm still torn about the epilogue. The more I think, I mean, the further away I am from it, I think I like the epilogue less and less. Like I said in my review, like, I'm not mad at it, but I kind of am. <laughs> I didn't love it. So, I mean, it was, it was still good. I mean, I still, I still did enjoy the book. Um, Molly is very repetitive in the book, but, um, like how the description talked about how Gran gave her some rules to help her navigate life. She also kind of navigates life by the hotel policy book. Um, so how, it said something about the room was in a state of disarray. She she quotes that. She's like, the, the room is in a state of disarray and it is my job to restore it to perfection. And she says stuff like that over and over again. Um, but it wasn't annoying because that did fit her character. That truly was how she navigated um, and how she understood things. Um, she's a very sweet girl and she definitely does get taken advantage of so you can kind of see some of that stuff unravel but it was really fun to see characters that you didn't even necessarily know existed in the beginning who kind of pop up and they they realize how innocent Molly is and they really go hard for her so um yeah it's a fun read um I think I didn't read it in the description because it kind of kept going, but it says something about this being like a clue-like book. And I think it is, like Colonel Mustard in the library with the wrench, and the maid in the hotel with the wrench. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it was fun in that regard. Um, but yeah, it, I don't think it was what I expected when I put it on my TBR list, but I can check it off now. It was okay. You did it. Yeah. And I think, um, I don't know who pulled that one for me. That was me. Oh, Caroline pulled it for me. So, thank you. You're welcome. okay. That's, uh, I mean, goes without saying. It's on my TBR, too. So, um, I'm excited to read it. And I, I'm not a huge mystery reader, so any mystery is kind of like a fast-paced, like, just easily digestible thing to me. Yeah. Like, I don't invest a lot of time in them. So, and maybe that's something I should like practice and work on but I don't know that's just me yeah I will say too I know I mentioned it a little bit there is there is some filler fluff that was like okay we really don't need this in the story but it does reveal something that I'm not quite sure Molly grasped but the readers grasped mm. um, and it was a very sweet reveal so it was like oh okay I mean that's I'm not mad cool. at it I didn't need it but that was cute that's so nice. Um, if you, when, when you get to it on your TBR list, if it feels like, why are we, why are we here? How did we get here? It's, it's sweet. Okay, you just, cool. and same with you readers. If you get to it and you're like, oh, this is, this is absolutely filler. You're absolutely right. But <laughs> it's not for nothing filler. It's, it's a sweet filler. That's so, fun. Yeah. It's got a nice payoff. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 
Well, I read uh, this. Let's see who pulled this one for me. Alexis did. Um, I read Black Girl Unlimited by Echo Brown. Um, this was an interesting book because it was, it even says on the back, part memoir, part magic. We classify it in our teen fiction section, but I was actually surprised that we did because it really does feel more like a memoir with some like magical realism elements included. Um, it's about the author, Echo, and she, um, growing up, her mom is addicted to drugs um, and her dad is not her biological father. It's kind of like her stepdad who stepped in and parented her, but he's also like addicted to substance. I can't remember if it was drugs or alcohol. Um, and her parents are just not super consistent. So Echo really has to like do everything for herself. She takes care of her little brothers. Um, throughout the book, it scenes reference back to a time when she was very young and her mom was, um, passed out from an overdose at her apartment. There was a fire in her apartment building and she like didn't know how to help her little brothers. Um, Cause she's like four in the scene. Yeah. It's so it keeps getting referenced back to that. And like that is like obviously a very impactful moment in her life. Um, but Echo has to do everything for herself. She really like pulls herself up and like understands the value of her education and uh, in the value in having like a good circle of friends and like she sees her parents abusing substances and she's like that's never going to be for me um it's honestly it's like the least happy book i've read in a long time and i've if you've been listening to the tbr podcast you know i've been listening to a lot of unhappy books um <laughs> but echo really is in so many situations where it's just like sad and kind of dire um she's sexually assaulted at one point in the book, um, her mom, she like, as a young teen, like throws away all of her mom's drugs and her mom lashes out at her um, when she figures out that she's probably the one that disposed of them. Um, she goes to live with one of her teachers for a while against her mom's wishes and her teacher's husband is black and she's never really had like an affluential black male's influence in her life and so she's initially kind of like put off by him and doesn't really know how to act around him and then he kind of doesn't make that any easier by like kind of boxing her into like this like well you're not well spoken you're not um you know like your parents didn't take you out to dinner you don't know how to act at a restaurant like she they go to a nice restaurant and she orders a hamburger because she's like I don't know any of these other things on the menu and they're just kind of like you don't know what spaghetti bolognese is? She's like, no, I just want a hamburger. And the teacher's really sweet Same. and really cool with it, but yeah, honestly. Um, so it's just like, it's often difficult to listen to, I did the audiobook if that wasn't clear. Um, it's often difficult to listen to because there's just so much that keeps going wrong for Echo. Um, but she does eventually graduate from high school and get into a really good college. And she works really hard to like have a, really good life and um eventually things turn around for her parents um so it's oddly hopeful at the end but just the intersection of like violence and depression and substance abuse and sexual assault and racism it's like just too much for one like teenager to have to have coped with um and then on top of that there's like a magical realism element so echo one of the first times that she has like a very traumatic experience, she sees like a black hole and she's like, mom, what's that hole? And her mom's just like, shh, don't, don't talk about it. 
it's nothing, you're not seeing anything, and nobody else can see it. Or Echo doesn't know anybody else can see it, but her mom can see it. And later she tells her, like, this is your magic, like, the, don't let the black hole, like, suck you in. That's the darkness, like, the darkness can consume you. And Echo figures out that she's a witch, and she can, like, throughout the book she calls them miracles. She creates miracles, um, and one of the big ones is the miracle of the Titanic. Um, she and her best friend take her little brother, and I think her cousin or maybe another brother, to see Titanic, and they perform a miracle, and they make the movie change to be like, little brothers, you can do better than like what your family has done, and like you have the potential Aww. to like be smart, and like the movie like shows them themselves at graduation, like graduating from high school and then college, and then like going on to like do big things in the world, and. After the movie, her brothers are just kind of like, wow, Titanic was amazing. This was, like, the most amazing movie I've ever seen. And they keep having these little, like, flashbacks to, like, the memory that the miracle that Echo performs. But they're kind of like, that didn't really happen, though. And, like, I saw myself as a grown-up, but, like, I wasn't – I'm not a grown-up. So I don't know what I saw. Um, And, like, throughout the book, Echo can do those little things where she'll, like, show someone the future or, like, fix their life a little bit or just, like – encourage them in a way that seems kind of like a premonition um with this like looming darkness over her all the time of like it's like a metaphysical I guess representation of trauma um so just it was really interesting and I honestly didn't know why it was in our fiction section until the magic comes in um because it didn't come in right away it's a little while it's like 70 pages in yeah I was 10 the first time I saw the black veil um so it's interesting because you don't realize it's magical realism until like a quarter, maybe a third of the way through the book. And then you're like, oh, well, that obviously didn't happen like in real life. This is just like a, her representation of trauma. So I really liked it. It was a really good book. It was a very interesting like depiction of trauma and overcoming trauma. But I, I still would almost put this in our memoir section. I'm still kind of surprised that it's a fiction piece and not just like someone's take on their memoir. Yeah. So I liked it. it I'm, I, this is one that I don't know how it ended up on my TBR, but I'm glad it did. Um, I think I just read a lot of YA fiction, and I read a lot of books by people of color, and especially women of color. So I was like, maybe that's maybe it just got recommended to me. I'm not sure. But I really enjoyed it, so I'm glad it was on my TBR. And I know, like, for authors... Or, well, I know Stephen King says, but I, I think it's pretty well understood that, like, you write about what you know. Yeah. So I do wonder how much of that was true for the author, like, based on things that she experienced or saw or... Yeah, and that's kind of the, the tricky part about the... Not tricky, it's kind of a weird way of phrasing it, but, like, it's one of the unique parts about the book is that, like, obviously some of it is dramatized because, like, she obviously didn't change the way that Titanic ended, but... The um, the trauma seems to be the memoir part. Mm-hmm. Like, that seems to have actually happened. Um, but, yeah, it's like, I it, it was a, there was a blurry line between what was memoir and what was fiction. Okay. So um, that's why I still feel like it might, like, to me, fall more to memoir. But um, it was really, it was really good. Oh, and I, oh, this is a testament to how good the book was. I listened through the acknowledgments. Usually I just, once it's like acknowledgements, I'm like, the end, that's enough for me. Um, I was uh, washing my hands at one of the sinks in our staff area here at the library, listening to the end of the book, and um, started to weep 
like oh. cry, like had to go back oh. to my desk and just be like, oh my gosh, because she um, thanks a lot of people. Obviously, like when authors are thanking people and their acknowledgments, it's like their editor and their agent and their moms and their dads and whatever. Um, but she says, finally, to myself, the girl who never gives up, the girl who believed she could, so she did, the girl who listens to the spirits and completes the mission, the girl who has finally discovered her unbreakability, well done. Aww. Start crying there. And then she says, P.S., to my baba baby, my kitty, you are the wind beneath my wings. Thanks for being there when no one else was. Cats are majestic, otherworldly creatures. Honor them. And I was like, all right, well, yeah. now I'm really crying because uh-huh. cats are majestic and <gasps> other, otherworldly. Why so. don't more people put their cats in their acknowledgments? Thank your pets. They yeah, probably, that's true. Not just your cats. Any fur face. They probably sat there while you wrote the whole thing. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah, I. It was a great book. I wept. I, there were several parts that made me like emotional and kind of teary. But the oh, the acknowledgments echo really stabbed me in the heart on that one. Cool. Yeah, that sounds deep. It sounds it intense. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll go next. I the first book I read was Home Bodies by Tembe Denton Hurst. Um, I'll read the Goodreads summary, but I might have some disagreements with what they say. (laughs) Um, So they say, Homebodies is a thrilling debut novel about a black writer whose world is turned upside down when she loses her job in media and pens a searing manifesto about racism in the industry. Mickey dreams of writing stories that matter. She has a flashy media job that makes her feel successful and a devoted girlfriend who takes care of her. But it's not all A-list parties and steamy romance. Um... It's really long, so I'm going to, like, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, But basically, at the start of the book, Mickey is going to this networking event for other writers in the industry. um, And somebody pulls her aside and tells her that they heard that her job is going to be opening up and they're looking for a replacement for her. Um, So Mickey is, like, starts freaking out. Like, she really loves this job it means a lot to her like she was hoping to use this as a jumping off platform to become a bigger writer so she's really freaked out when she finds out that they're going to replace her um and there's also a lot going on at her job where she doesn't feel that she's being treated right um like she feels that there's some subtle racism going on and maybe some not so subtle racism and that just she's being asked a lot of at her job more so than other writers Um, But she's starting to see the signs, too, that, like, oh, they're looking for my replacement. They're going to try and fire me. Um, So she does end up getting fired um, a few weeks after this person tells her that she's going to be. Um, And it really sends her on a sort of a bad path. Like, she really goes into a depressive episode. um, And she's debating back and forth about whether she wants to take the severance or whether she wants to write something about what she experienced because if she can't get the severance if she if she takes the severance she has to sign an nda Mm -hmm. so she's really going back and forth about what she wants to do but her girlfriend and a lot of her friends kind of talk her out of it they're like i know you have a lot of big feelings about what's going on but probably nothing's going to come about it like unfortunately that's just how it is Mm -hmm. so she decides to take the severance and she's not going to write anything Um, So she just ends up being very depressed and sitting at home for like a month, like not sure what she wants to do and really struggling. And then during that time, her girlfriend gets a really big promotion at work. So she starts to feel like jealous and comparing herself and starts having really big fights with her girlfriend um, to the point where she decides to move home. Um, She moves back to her hometown, moves in with her grandma and decides she's going to take a break from 
the city, take a break from her relationship. Um, and while she's at her hometown, she, you can tell she kind of steps back into herself as a teenager. She starts seeing her friends from high school. She starts seeing somebody that she dated in high school. Um, and sort of having these family issues that you can tell that she had when she was young. And as she's like reflecting and sitting in her hometown, she starts thinking about all the things that she endured at her job. And she ends up, she does write a letter about all the things she experienced at her job and publishes it on Twitter and gets no response. Oh. Like she gets no reactions. She sends it to like her group chat of the people in the industry with her and none of them react. Like nobody cares about all the things that she has to say. So that kind of bombs her out even more. Um, so she's kind of just like chilling in her hometown, doing chores for her grandma, hanging out with her people she went to high school with. And it's like very sad. Um, and that's kind of like, it's kind of this slice of life story. Like you're kind of just seeing Mickey like go through the trenches. Um, and then towards the end of the book, there's kind of like a, I don't know what to call it. One of the bosses from her old job gets exposed for some racist, racist activity. So people find Mickey's letter in connection with that and start being like, oh, this girl knew that this was happening all along. Like we should reach out to this girl and it like goes viral and blows up and everyone wants to interview her and she starts getting like proposals for a book. Um, and when that all happens, her girlfriend shows up in her hometown to like confront her because this whole time her girlfriend has been reaching out like, hey, how can I help you? I really want to get you through this hard time and Mickey just ignores her. Oh. And it's really hard to root for Mickey as a main character because like she is going through a hard time, absolutely relatable. I think any person in that situation would be really depressed and going through it. But she does have people who are reaching out and trying to help her and she just ignores them at every opportunity. She doesn't take the help. Um, and I have a lot of mixed feelings about this book because normally I'm the kind of person who loves like a slice of life book where not a lot happens and that's what this is, but it really is hard to root for Mickey as a main character because it, like, of course she's going through a hard time, but she just keeps putting her in situations that make it harder. Like she's ignoring her girlfriend who's trying really hard to help her. She is like having this fling with her high school ex who she knows is toxic. She's like having all these, like reliving all these family issues from when she was a teenager. And it's just really hard to root for her as a main character. And then like, she kind of gets what she wanted. Like she doesn't really get any consequences for writing badly about her company, even though she signed an NDA. I was um, wondering about that. Yeah, nothing really bad comes from that. And like, obviously the company like wants to take her side. Like it would look bad on them if they were like, you can't talk bad about us because <laughs> you signed an NDA. Yeah. But the book kind of ends, um, she finally leaves her hometown to go um, back to the city for an interview on TV to talk about what she experienced and that's where the book ends. So we don't really find out like, does she get really big because of all this? Does she get back with her girlfriend? Oh. Like it's kind of just like, I don't, I didn't feel like Mickey learned anything from all this experience. Like I feel like she kind of just like went home and cried and then everything worked out. <laughs> I wish. I know, right? So, I don't know. I feel like this is kind of like a three-star middle of the road for me because I really wanted to like it, but Mickey was such a hard character to root for. Yeah. Yeah, that I could see that. And it's so hard, too, because you know, like, I feel like, 
like you said, most of us have been there and like there's nothing you want more than someone like rooting for you and like people being there for you. But then when you look back, you're like, yeah, I was kind of insufferable. Like I've done that. There have been so many times where I've looked back and been like, woof. Yeah. <laughs> I was like hard to be around. And so you want that, you want that companionship, but yeah, at the same time, you're just like, oh, I get, yeah, I get why, like, everyone would want to, like, boo, away from that, um, but, oh, the, in the minute you said, went back to hometown, dated an ex from high school, <laughs> I, like, I was like, oh, this is my worst nightmare. <laughs> yes, oh, that was very hard to read about, and all her friends, too, were like, you know that person hasn't changed, like, I don't know what you're expecting to happen this time, but it's not going to be different, yeah. and... It was very hard to read. Yeah. It kind of sounds like at that point, Mixie, Mixie, Mickey <laughs> was just as toxic as the ex. Absolutely. Like, well, especially, what she was going through. Especially, too, her girlfriend was constantly texting and calling her and being like, let me help you through this. And Mickey absolutely ignores her the whole time. And I'm like, you are becoming the person that traumatized you. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking about that, too, where, like, people are telling you, like, they haven't changed and... You try to justify it with, like, I know. I know, but it's fine because it's not serious. Like, I know how this person is. I know how this can be. Like, it's fine. It's like, oh, the self-sabotage. Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> self-sabotage. Yeah. It hurts. Yeah. yeah. Definitely interesting. I'd be curious what this author does next, though, because I did like her writing, but it was just the character. It was really hard to support her. Um, and this book just came out last year, so I think that's how it ended up on my TBR. Like, I must have seen it on a like new releases list or something um and it is up my alley like I do read a lot of like literary slice of life fiction but yeah kind of just a three star for me that's fair yeah I feel like that's consistent for the TBR podcast yeah I mean this one I gave four stars for my next one um so I'll jump in so yeah so I read Rebecca but how do you say her name Daphne Dumarie Dumarie um I was kind of, so Lexis pulled this one for me. I was kind of shocked that it was on my TBR list because I don't like classics and like I kind of intentionally avoid them because I know I don't like them. I can clearly remember when we pulled these. You were like, "What is this? Yeah, how does this end up here?" <laughs> okay, um, but so so it is a classic. So some of you guys might be very familiar with it. Might have already read this, but it was very new for me. Um, but so the description is, is pretty short. It says, last night I dreamt I went to Manderley again. Ancient, beautiful Manderley between the Rose Gardens and the sea is the country's showpiece. Rebecca made it so. Even a year after her death, Rebecca's influence still rules here. How can Maxim de Winter's shy new bride ever fill her place or escape her vital shadow? A shadow that grows longer and darker as the brief summer fades until in a moment of climactic revelation, it threatens to eclipse Manderley and its inhabitants completely. Um, so I, I don't know why I thought this, but I thought this was like more of a ghost story. Like I thought it was more horror, um, but I looked and in our catalog, it's um, actually a mystery, which seems fitting like that. Now that I've read it, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that does seem fitting. So um, the narrator, we don't ever get to know her name, but um, she starts out as like the, she's not a maid, but she's like the, like a lady in waiting. Yeah, like a lady in waiting for this other lady. Um, And they're at this hotel, and that's where the narrator meets Maxim de Winter. Um, 
And he starts, like, asking her to have dinner, but she never tells the person that she's, I can't remember her name, but the lady in waiting for, um, until they're about to leave. And Maxim de Winter is like, mm, no, let's get married. Don't go. Don't, we'll just get married. And she was like, what? Okay. <laughs> um, and so he goes and tells her mis- mistress, I guess, um, what they're planning to do and the mistress comes out and she's like what did you do how did you get him to like want to marry you like that and good luck at Manderly like see ya um and so they have this like they get married and they have this like beautiful um honeymoon and she just loves it she loves her husband and then they do get to Manderly and there is this like looming shadow of Rebecca like Rebecca is everywhere um and a lot of the well specifically the the um cook the she's the no she's not the cook but she's like the maid of the house um she decides the menu um with the new Mrs. De Winter's approval of course but um she's very loyal to Rebecca and so in a way the narrator can't get away from Rebecca because she can't get away from the the uh, maid, and then um, she starts to meet like Maxim's family. She and they were like, "Oh yeah, you're nothing like Rebecca." Um, she meets the grandmother who was just doted on Rebecca, loved Rebecca, um, and like there are some creepy tense moments where you're like, "What's gonna happen? Is someone gonna die?" Like. That, and I just kept waiting for the ghost. I just kept, I'm like, oh no, this is getting creepy. Is this where the ghost comes out? Um, it's not. There's no ghosts. So if you haven't read it, spoiler alert, there's no ghosts. <laughs> um, but so as she's like learning to navigate life at Manderley, she starts to kind of come in her, into her own. Because um, at first she doesn't want to make too many waves. She just kind of, she wants to be the new madam of the house, but like not rock everybody's world and be like, Nope, I'm going to change absolutely everything. Um, But eventually she does gain some confidence, and um, there's a ball where things just go horribly wrong, um, thanks to some sabotage by the maid. Um, And then the narrator and her husband, Max, start to kind of grow distant, or at least Max does. Um, And it turns out he has this, like, dark secret, and eventually she figures out what the secret is because um of a boat wreck um so it it kind of it forces his secret to come to the surface um and then they just kind of work to navigate through that secret to stay together and um yeah that's that was not what I expected at all I very much liked it though um I put Oh, um, I'm going to read my review. So I enjoyed this book more than I thought. I even, wait, let me try Let me start again. I enjoyed this book more than I thought. I would even thought, no, it's not, it's not that I don't know how to read. Apparently I don't know how to write. (laughs) Um, I think I was supposed to say, even though it was nothing like I expected. For some reason, I thought there would be a kind of haunting. I'm not disappointed though. Um, the narrator is a young girl thrown into a life she's never known when she finds herself as the new Mrs. De Winter. While at Manderley, she cannot escape the shadow of Rebecca. As life in Manderley goes on, everything becomes disrupted, secrets are revealed in more ways than one. 
At times I was irritated with the narrator. I don't like that we don't get to know how old she is. I think that knowing her age would have explained a lot that bothered me. I think if she, like, if it was clear, like, oh, she's, you know, 22. And I'm like, okay, that tracks. Yeah. Um, but because I didn't know, I think I assumed she was older. So her behavior in the book just didn't fit with what I had imagined. Um, but overall, I did enjoy the narrator. I liked the pacing of the story. I think it moved really well. Um, the reader is brought along with Mrs. DeWinter. Um, and the way the reader gets to learn about others is through the others through... Okay, I don't know how to write this review. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, anyways, so I did I did like it. Um, even though it was her point of view, I didn't feel restrictive. Like, I wasn't getting enough of other characters in their, like, the way that they were developed. I felt like I, I was still able to get to know all the other characters. Um, one of the things I did note is I do think there was some repetition in the dialogue um, that would make me keep it from five stars. So this is the only reason I didn't give it a five star. Um, literally the dialogue would be like, yes, I said, yes, I said, yes, I said, yes, he said, yes, he said, yes, he said. Um, if I had a dollar for every time there was a conversation and someone just said yes over and over again, I'd be rich enough to have my own Manderley. <laughs> um, that did start to wear on me. I'm like, all right, man, there's, he replied, stated, yeah. like, there's even other ways nodded. to say yes. Yeah. I mean, like we could have. We could have done so much more. And, like, not some of the times it would be somebody on the phone. So you didn't even get the other half of the conversation. It was just like, yes, he said. He listened some more. Yes, he said. Listen some more. Yes, he said. I was like, oh, no. Why? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I was like, why are we doing this? Um, but, yeah, for someone who doesn't like classics and reading it a classic, literally that's the only thing that kept it from a five-star for me. I, I really wow. enjoyed the book. I'm so excited that you liked it because I think I pulled this one for you and it's one of my favorite books. Um, yeah, you did. I've been meaning to reread it to see if it like still holds up as one of my favorite books. So yeah. I'm pumped that you loved it. It was, yeah, it was really good. Um, it, I think the premise of it when I put it on my Goodreads was um, it made me think of a, a book that I did read that was a horror Um I can't think of the title. I'll, I'll see if I can remember it before the podcast is over. But there, it was a haunting. Was it How to Sell a Haunted House? Was it... No, I don't think I read that one. Hmm. Um, it's like Not sure. the person's name is Jane in it. And she goes oh. to this house of this her rich doctor husband. Um, and the ex is everywhere. Mm. And um, if you've read Rebecca, you, you know what really happens to Rebecca um, I don't want to spoil anything if you haven't. Um, but basically, well, this isn't a spoiler. So Mr. DeWinter is married to the new Mrs. DeWinter, the narrator, because he was he's a widower. So Rebecca passed away. Um, so in this other book, the, the wife had passed away, and you figure out how. But she's a physical haunting. Like, mm. She, mm. she really does haunt both the doctor and the new wife. So I think I thought that I was going in that direction so I was pleasantly surprised when I didn't um I have a hard time reading ghost stories I just kind of think they're silly um, I wonder if that other one was inspired by Rebecca though it seems like a similar yeah thing. sounds like it I'll I'll see if I can figure it out while we talk about our other books but yeah I mean it was really good if you're like me and you don't like classics so you've been avoiding it 
um, I would say don't do that because this was really good. It was yeah. fun. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Rebecca always reminds me of like more a more psychological version of Crimson Peak. Um, so if you like the movie Crimson Peak, it's a very similar story where like new wife moves into a house with a widower and but it is actually physically haunted. Um, but yeah, it's like she can't adjust because the signs of the old wife are just everywhere. And then she's like, oh, and she's haunting this house. That's terrifying. So it's, I feel like there are a lot of movies and other books that have kind of done a play on Rebecca. Um, but, yeah. But like with the more like physical manifestation of like a ghost story. Yeah, that would make sense. Maybe that's also partly why I put it on my um, TBR was because I do know that it does it. A lot of other works are inspired by Rebecca, so it was probably one of those things where I was like, "All right, I just need to, I just need to read it already." Um, so I put it on my TBR, and here we are. I read hey. it. So yeah, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. Uh, my second book. This was the one that. Sorry, we have so many lists. Okay, that Danielle pulled for me. Um, this is called World of Wonders, and it's by Amy. And I'm gonna try really. I listened to her last name so many times. I'm gonna try really hard. Nazuku Matateel. Um, she is. Uh, she talks about it in the book. She's, I believe, Indian and Polynesian, maybe. Um, but she she talks about that in the book about how like people would just give up on her name and I was like no I am determined to learn it um, but this is called World of Wonders and the subtitle is In Praise of Fireflies Whale Sharks and Other Astonishments I know I put this on my TBR because I'm a huge animal lover and I really love like nature books um, so this is in our nature animals section but I would almost classify it somewhere else this is the second book on this podcast that I was like nope doesn't belong there um, <laughs> I love it, the little axolotl on the cover I just so have to cute. mention that he's so cute yeah the illustrations are really good they're by Fumi Nakamura um and each chapter starts with a little illustration of the animal or like plant that um Amy's going to talk about so like the illustrations are really pretty um listener I'm so sorry you can't see them but um they are very pretty if you want to check the book out um when I put this on my TBR and when I picked it up I thought it was going to be more about like weird animals in the world it is kind of about that, but it also really ties more into the author's life and like how she relates to some of these things. Um, so it was interesting, but I wouldn't put it in the nature section. Like I think I would put it more in memoir. Again, like, I think I'd put it more in memoir yeah. um, because it wasn't like, this is the axolotl and here's all the things that an axolotl does. And here's why it's kind of like a natural anomaly. And here's how it's a weird little little guy. Uh, like a narwhal was one of the things. And I was like, yes, please teach me about the narwhal. Did not teach me about the narwhal. I can okay. teach you about the narwhal. Thank you. <laughs> I love narwhals. I love narwhals too, and they're so cute. I, like, all of the animals on the cover are very cute. I love a whale shark. Like, look at yeah, this guy's little mouth. What a silly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I liked it, um, and I wanted to give it five stars. I ended up giving it four because some chapters leaned really heavy into the nature stuff. And I was like, yeah, 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 give me more nature. I want to learn about the animals. And then other chapters leaned really hard into the memoir stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, so we're off the animals. Okay. No more animals. And I didn't dislike that, but it was just like such a hard switch each time. Um, but it's very poetic. It was very like lyrical. Uh, and that's, again, where I was like, maybe I would put this in poetry. Like maybe I would make it like a poetic memoir. I don't know. I just didn't feel like it was a nature book. And yeah. that's what I had signed up for when I put this on my TBR was like 
please teach me about dancing frogs. They sound like little weirdos, and I love them. Like, look at that guy. Oh, you can't tell that me that that guy cute. doesn't look like a cartoon character. He's a real thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I did, I did enjoy it, and it was very interesting. And um, the author talks a lot about, like, the intersection of, like, race and status. And um, she moved a lot as a kid. Oh, Filipina. She's Filipina. Oh, and she did live in uh, Western New York. Um, and I'm originally from Western New York. So that, of course, like caught my interest. And I was like, oh, I have to learn more about her. Um, she grew up in a town that when I Googled it, I was like, I don't even know where that is. I have oh, never okay. heard of this little town. It was like population 4,000. It's so tiny. Um, it's just like too south of where I lived to really ever have ventured there. Okay. Sorry, Amy. I mean, she doesn't talk highly of it very often either uh <laughs> she knew um but yeah it was an interesting book it was just so many different things wrapped into one short book it was only like 123 pages i think it was a really yeah. short read so it was good i really liked it and i read it fast 158 okay so it just read really quickly but there were some times where i had to like pause and kind of step back from it and then get back into it because i was like wait we just, I just had like a whole Bill Nye type lesson on an animal, and now we've hard switched to like <laughs> a story about her life instead that didn't really tie back to the animal or the plant that she was talking about. So I liked it a lot. I just didn't, I didn't think it belonged in nature. I think it really belongs more in memoir. Yeah. Maybe I'll write a letter. That, that does sound <laughs> a little jarring though to go kind of back and forth like that. Yeah, it was a, it was a frequent switch. Yeah. Um, really quick, speaking of jarring switches. So I found the <laughs> book. It's called The Death of Jane Lawrence. Um, and I'm not going to talk about it because it's not the point. But I did want to read this part because I thought it was really funny. Um, this Crimson Peak-inspired story assembles then upends every expectation set in place by Shirley Jackson and Rebecca and will leave readers shaken, desperate to begin again as soon as they are finished. Um, so I just thought that was funny. The two things that or you said Crimson Peak was kind of similar so apparently this book was inspired by all, all the things. things which is why I had that expectation for Rebecca um also I it will not leave you wanting more I only gave it two stars it was not good <laughs> so anyways that's all um okay well like Caroline's last book was kind of memoirish I my last book is a memoir um and to be totally transparent I have not finished it yet I have like two hours left of the audiobook um, but I read Just Kids by Patti Smith. Um, I'll read the Goodreads summary. In Just Kids, Patti Smith's book of prose, the legendary American artist offers a never-before-seen glimpse of her remarkable relationship with photographer Robert Maplethorpe. In the days of New York City and the Chelsea Hotel in the late 60s and 70s, an honest and moving story of youth and friendship, Smith brings the same unique lyrical quality to Just Kids as she has to the rest of her Formidable bar her formidable body of work from her influential 1975 album Horses to her visual art and poetry. Um, so this is one of those ones that is like, why is this on my TBR? Because I am aware of Patti Smith culturally, but I wouldn't say I'm a big fan. I wouldn't say I'm like very familiar with her work, but I think this is on my TBR because this book has very, very good reviews. It won the National Book Award. So I was like, well, maybe I can learn about her. Like, yeah, learn more about her. Um, I also am going to read um, just like the Google bio of Patty and Robert, just like for you guys and our listeners if you don't know much about them, because I didn't know that much about them. So Patty Smith is an American singer, songwriter, poet, painter, and author whose 1975 album Horses 
elevated her as an influential member of New York City-based punk rock. Um, Smith fused rock and poetry into her work. And then Robert Maplethorpe, who it, this book is about and inspired by Patty's relationship with, was an American photographer best known for his black and white photographs. His work featured an array of subjects, including celebrity portraits, male and female nudes, self-portraits, and still life images. So I've been listening to the audiobook and it's read by Patty, which is great because she has this beautiful raspy voice. She's got like a subtle New Jersey accent. Like I love listening to celebrity memoirs in their voice. It's my favorite. Um, this book opens up with Patty talking about the day that Robert passed away. Um, and it's kind of interesting because I didn't know very much about their relationship. So this almost reads like fiction to me or like a story because I'm like, I don't know what to, what's going to expect, what to expect. Mm -hmm. Whereas like maybe people who are fans of her would be like, well, obviously this and this, but I didn't know what was going to happen. So she's talking about how her husband woke her up that morning and she just felt in her body. She knew Robert was dead. Um, just because they've had this intense, long, years-long relationship, friendship. She knew the world was different when she woke up that morning. And then we flash back to when they met in like the late 60s. They were both living in New York. They were both struggling artists. Patty was, um, she was like sleeping in the bookshop that she worked in because she didn't have anywhere to live. Um, Robert was also a struggling artist. Um, and she recognized him because he, sh he shopped at the bookstore she worked at. And then one night she goes out with a man um, just for the free dinner, basically. <laughs> right um, on, yeah. And then the man ends up kind of being creepy towards her and she wants to get away and she sees Robert on the street and she runs up to him and is like, can you pretend to be my boyfriend? I want to get away from this man. Oh. Um, so he helps her get away from this man and they are inseparable after that. Like oh. they like inspire so much of each other's art. They help each other as struggling artists. They like live together. They are like really in the trenches, just like trying to make it. Um, they both do like a ton of different kinds of art, like writing, photography, like physical making collages and jewelry, like they do it all. Um, and they're really struggling, but they like sort of build this life together. And it's really, like they are so bonded and have this intense relationship and it's really beautiful to read about. Um, and as time goes on, Robert starts to discover his sexuality more and starts to be more interested in um, being with men. Um, and Patty gets more interested in her art and being with people who are more interested in music and writing. But they always come back together and they talk about how they have this rule where only one of them can be down at a time. So like oh. the, they're always supporting, like if one of them's going through a hard time, the other one's gonna be there to support them and lift them up. And like, even if they're like seeing other people or going through different stages of their like art or their lives, they always come back to support one another. And it's so beautiful to read about just like that friendship of how like they go through waves, just like any relationship where they're closer, where they're drift apart a little bit, but they always come back stronger. It's so great to read about and just like seeing to the start of their fame and how they kind of like, like they truly were in the trenches. Um, but then like this, like, I don't know. I'm not very familiar with the like late sixties, early seventies, like rock movement and like the artists of that time in New York. But it's really interesting to see how like they're living in this hotel, but they would meet other like writers and rock stars and it would get them in the right rooms so that people would see their art and like slowly it starts to build up and they're like achieving their dreams together even though like 
I don't know, they sort of drift between being in a relationship together and then just being friends. And it's really, really beautiful to read about this relationship. Oh. Sounds like a good book. Yeah. I don't know much about either of them either, but... I would, I would read it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and just like hearing her stories and her voice is so good. And yeah, it's like a very... I don't know. I just could go on and on about how beautiful their relationship is. Like, how envious I am to, like, have that kind of person where just, like, you know they're going to be in your corner no matter what. Like, no matter your history with each other. Like, they just, you know that they got you. So, yeah, it's really great. Oh, Very cool. That sounds really good. Yeah. I might be on my TBR list now. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> oh, fun. Well, we um, pulled... Our next reads behind the scenes, yeah. as we do. Um, so Lexis is reading. Um, Danielle pulled for Lexis Shuggy Bane, and then I pulled Piernisi, which I am so excited for you to read, and I'm probably gonna have to read while you read it so that uh, we can really get into it on the pod. Um, Lexis pulled for Danielle How to Hug a Porcupine, and I pulled a book called Dangerous Prayers, and then for me Danielle pulled um, Runaway by Harlan Coben, which I am. <clears throat> she's so excited I have mixed feelings about and then <laughs> it just like a perfect flip of the coin Alexis pulled a Dear America book for me so Yay. yippee <laughs> if you listen to any of our podcasts you know that that is a dream come true for me yes. so yeah I'm so excited that we keep good to keep doing this yes, and it's so much fun to to actually chip away at the TBR list like, yeah yeah I, I will always have a TBR list but it's nice to actually read the books on it and try to figure out like why why did I want to read this how did this get here yeah yeah and I think it makes you more selective in the future like I uh am proud to say that from the last two polls I went from 1789 to 1783 but then I was going through my TBR list last night and I was like yeah how did this end up here and I was just like whoop gone you're gone now um so I think my number will be much much lower the next time we do this because I just started going through and like kicking some things up a lot of board books that I thought I would read for story times um if you don't know we're all in the children's department here at the library so a lot of board books that I can't put on hold here at the library so there's no sense in me trying to read them because I'll never be able to actually physically get my hands on it that's That's okay it's all right well thank you again for joining us for the TBR podcast this has been Caroline and I'm Danielle I'm Alexis. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Shelf Logic. Make sure to hit subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Follow us on social media where we are at MCLDAZ.